0: What is up, dolphins fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, March the 6th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's a bit of a variety bag of Dolphins and NFL news. Brian Flores did the Adam Schefter podcast on Monday. We'll talk about that interview. Minka Fitzpatrick's permanent position remains up in the air. We'll discuss his best fit. Plus franchise tags are official. Some cuts are being made. Some big name cuts. We'll discuss Miami's position in free agency and we'll finish up the podcast with a commentary on Cardinals quarterback Josh Rosen. All of that and a whole lot more but first I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Google Play, Stitcher, tuned in, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us that five star rating, leave us a five star review, and tell a friend about the podcast. If you love Locked On Dolphins, also follow me on Twitter at Winkful NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have been the number one blog in the entire Locked On network for about a year running now. So keep that going. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts. It's draft season. Got to get that Locked On NFL Draft podcast and the Draft Dudes podcast for all the draft coverage you guys need leading up to late April and the NFL Draft We have a busy show, as we always do. Let's go ahead and get things cranking. That's another Miami Dolphins. So Brian Flores did the Adam Schefter podcast on Monday post-Combine, talking about some of his challenges he's had so far in the new position with the Miami Dolphins some of the things they look for in players and trying to build this team in this roster what it would mean to bring a Super Bowl championship back to Miami just the basic surface level questions you're going to get from a guy like Adam Schefter and that you're going to get from a guy like Brian Flores and that really frankly was what we got on the podcast I wouldn't tell you it was anything earth-shattering or that he said something that would be a big surprise to us Look, this guy goes back to the New England Patriot tree under Bill Belichick where they really aren't going to tell you a whole lot, whether it's extravagant answers about player acquisition, winning in the future. It's always going to be about the one-day-at-a-time process, the mentality. And that's basically how it went. But it was worth sharing this one story that he talked about working under Scott Pioli back in the mid-2000s with the Patriots when he was a gopher boy, basically going to get coffee, driving people around, doing dry cleaning, the stuff that you do like at a law firm when you're working in the mailroom trying to get your way up the ladder. Well, that's what Brian Flores was. He was the gopher for those mid-2000s New England Patriots teams. But the story about working under Pioli and what his primary responsibility was, once he got himself into a position where he had more responsibility on the football side, and Brian Flores was in charge of putting together the NFL waiver wire, the NFL transaction board, as every team has multiple boards, whether it's draft, their own depth chart, waiver wire, all that fun stuff, and he had to put together these transaction boards, taking track of every single move that was made across the NFL, because those guys have to be plugged in to every team's move, and who's available and who's not, and the biggest note that came from that was Pioli said, if one's wrong, it's all wrong, and this taught Brian Flores to be meticulous and so attention to detail oriented that he brought that with him throughout his career and just continued to work that way and it all starts with hard work with this guy because that's what he's had to do his entire life coming up from a tough neighborhood. He wants no egos on his team. He wants to be tough and demanding but he made an emphasis on the fact that he's going to love his players because he does love his players and that also allows him to be more demanding of them and get their respect and get them to work harder because Who's our favorite teacher back in our early school days? It was always the teacher that maybe you didn't love at the time, but he was the one that pushed you the most to get the most out of you. That's kind of the Brian Flores approach here. And then we finally got a Brian Flores laugh. I haven't heard him laugh yet because I think he's just really measured and kind of not that temperamental when it comes to his approach to questions with the media. And he had a great laugh because he talked about the biggest upgrade you make when you go from an assistant coach in the league to the head coach is you go from an air mattress in your office for the nights you have to sleep there, which is basically every night for a head coach. And now he gets a couch in his office. He was pretty pumped up about that idea. And I talked about how Schefter asked him, what would it mean to you to bring back a Super Bowl to the Miami Dolphins? And he gave us the great Belichickian answer. I'm a one day at a time guy. I'm not even thinking about that. Like I said, he's never going to tell us much, so just get used to that for the next three, four, hopefully 12 years in Miami under Flores. He's not going to tell you anything at press conferences. Now, the other story that I think is worthy of the show opening is this idea that the Dolphins maybe don't really know exactly where they want to play Minka Fitzpatrick going forward. I think we know that in the short term, they want to play him at safety, but long term might not be so concrete at this point because frankly... It's not that hard to tell. Minka Fitzpatrick's best position is covering inside the slot. He was terrific, elite in that regard last year with the Dolphins. And in Alabama, he was a five-star player in the country, a Bednerick and Thorpe award winner playing in that star role, that slot role in Nick Saban's defense. And the perplexing part here is the Dolphins did draft Minka Fitzpatrick because of the character, because of what he is, the professional he is. We all know all those stories about him, but they brought him here To play in a team where one of the Dolphins' better players going into 2018 was slot cornerback Bobby McCain, who got a $5.6 million per year raise on a new contract with the Dolphins that schedules McCain to be here through the 2021 season. And you look at the just the planning of the roster building in that sense, putting together TJ McDonald and Rashad Jones in the same defensive backfield at safety, that doesn't work. Putting McCain and Fitzpatrick together, you're just doubling down on guys that do the same things. And while I think Minka could be a great matchup piece in coverage... And that's kind of what he did in college outside of playing the slot. You go outside to the boundary and play the wide tight end that flexes out and moves outside the numbers to play that position. So he can do that. I think you can operate with him as a safety in that sense and kind of the big nickel in that sense as well. But I do think that him playing safety is much more about a projection because frankly, we just haven't seen it that much. And you'll recall some of his worst games from his rookie season came when he played at safety, including his first career start back in week three when the Dolphins got torched by that terrible Raiders offense, and he was filling in for Rashad Jones and gave up a couple of big plays in that game after he was dynamite locked down in the first two games of the year against the Titans and against the Jets. And while I don't want to see Bobby McCain moved on from because I do believe he'll have a bounce back year and I know he's a team leader... But it just signals the overall lack of approach in terms of big picture roster building the previous regime had. And that's why the Dolphins are in this position where they have to dig their way out of all these mistakes. So long term, Minka's best spot is in the slot playing that cornerback role. And I think you can approach it that way. But I wouldn't be overly upset if he played safety because I do think that he can do it. Okay, we've got plenty more to come here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, including some free agency talk, some franchise tags, and a commentary on Josh Rosen. We'll get to all of that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, on Twitter, at Wingful NFL, and the show, at Locked On Fins. Oh, I know this makes no difference to any of you guys listening to this podcast because it all comes through fluidly in one fell swoop for y'all. But that was about the third or fourth take we did for that intro into the second segment here because my cat, like a friggin' weirdo, was over in her litter box scratching the walls of the litter box over and over again every single time I went to talk. It seemed like so. This interruption that you're not gonna hear is brought to you by Kona Cat. She is my little buddy, but today, buddy, you are annoying the crap out of me. Let's go ahead and move on and talk about some football, not cats in litter boxes here. And we know that Andre Branch is already out. We know that Josh Sitton, Robert Quinn, Ryan Tannehill, and Devontae Parker are soon to follow suit. We assume that Danny Amendola and Kiko Alonso will be in that mold as well, at least I hope. We know the Dolphins' intentions to bring back Xavier Howard on a new contract. But the one that remains up in the air still at this moment is right tackle Jawan James. And Donovan Smith of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers today on Tuesday signed a three-year $42 million deal with $27 million in guarantees right around $13 million per year, which for the Bucs is not a great deal. But I mentioned this a while back, and I think pretty soon contracts between left and right tackles We'll start to balance out a little bit more as the league gets away from this idea of stacking up pass rushers on the quarterback's blind side, and frankly, it's been trending this way for a while. Guys will play off the left end of the defensive line as well, just as much as off the right end. But what exactly would be a good figure for Jawan James? I personally would be inclined to offer him a four year, $36 million deal and guarantee half of it for 18 million bucks. Load up the front portion of that deal so that when it's time to play Laramie Tunzel, Jawan James figures level off and you can have an affordable tackle group that way. And if he doesn't take that deal, which I think he probably won't, that's fine. We can part ways with him and look elsewhere on the cheap. And some have asked me why we haven't franchised Jawan James at this point. I think the franchise tackle for James at tackle would be something in the neighborhood around $15 million. And you just can't do that for Jawan James. You just can't especially with his propensity to take on season-ending injuries. That would be a brutal result if he were on IR with that figure. So the Juwan James thing remains up in the air. Franchise tags are out and done across the league. The Cowboys went after Demarcus Lawrence. The Texans tagged up Jadavian Clowney. The Chiefs, D Ford. The Seahawks, Frank Clark. And the Falcons, Grady Jarrett. A lot of defensive line players in that group there on the franchise tag. But the notable absences from that list as the Giants will part ways or allow Landon Collins at least to test the free agent market. And this free agent class is super deep, which again sucks because the Dolphins have so much financial responsibility tied up in this position with such little production. And now at this point, such little scheme fit for what they want to do. And they have needs in that position group And they really don't have the financial wiggle room to make moves happen. Eric Weddle of the Baltimore Ravens, all pro Eric Weddle, the longtime communicator of the Chargers defense, then of the Ravens defense, and just a superb, almost Hall of Fame level player. He might even be in Canton one day. He gets cut by the Ravens to free up $7.5 bucks on their cap hit. And he might retire, but if he doesn't, the Dolphins got to make that phone call. It won't go against your compensatory formula. And he would be a excellent, excellent plug and play player that could come in right away and captain Brian Flores' defense. And the reason the Ravens might have done that is because they need the money to pay for CJ Mosley a linebacker for the Ravens who did not get the tag himself in Baltimore and will now hit the free agent market when it opens up next week and the Dolphins would probably have to put in calls there. I still don't see them doing that because let's be honest about it, this team is not going to spend the big money on free agents even if we think the Trey Flowers rumor could be a possibility and he'd be a great player and a great fit here. I just don't think I don't think they're going to spend that kind of money. And that's not really because of some idea that they're tanking. I just think that's going to be a philosophical approach that they're not going to do that in the way the Patriots never did that outside of a very, very unique circumstance like a Stephon Gilmore And of course, Trey Flowers probably would be that, but it goes back to the idea on yesterday's podcast that this pass rush in this scheme is really more created by the scheme itself, rush integrity, or lane integrity rather, and being responsible for your own specific gap and rush lane. So maybe the value on the individual pass rusher is not going to be as big. Both Mosley and Weddle would be awesome gets, but I just don't think the Dolphins are going to be in on that portion of the free agent market. Now, where they might be in on to me are the low-level free agent options, guys that were previously cut after they didn't work out initially. And I'm thinking specifically about Houston Texans cornerback Kevin Johnson, who was just cut on Tuesday. He was a first-round draft pick in 2015 of the Texans. And I think his game or what his game would be at its peak is translatable into this defense. He goes six foot tall. So that hits that requirement. His shuttle and three cone times are fantastic. So the change of direction skill set that the Dolphins love at the cornerback position. And when I say that, I'm talking about Brian Flores and what they did in New England. So I think this same prototypes come over to Miami and he would fit that prototype in that sense, but it just didn't work out because maybe he's not that good of a player. Maybe he was coaching. Maybe he didn't have the work ethic, whatever it was. I'm not sure, but the Patriots have always tended to pull these guys off the heap and turn them into productive players, a la Trent Brown last year, who was nabbed for a draft pick trade down on day three, like a fourth for a fifth, just a simple swap, and he comes in and plays very, very formidable left tackle for a team that needed it to protect Tom Brady on the offensive line last year. I just, I would love to see the Dolphins finally be a team that does that where we're the ones saying, Oh, your trash is our treasure because how often does it work out the other way for this dolphins team? Whether you go back to Rob Ninkovich or Nolan Carroll, even had a couple of good years. It just seems to always happen to the dolphins and never in the reverse coming back our way. And I'm not talking about turning these guys into all pros, but just getting production out of cheap signings and hitting on the value of those signings. I hope the dolphins think about things like this. Maybe not Kevin Johnson specifically, But that's the mindset that we need to be thinking about with the Dolphins' acquisitions this coming March and April. So it's that idea, but also the idea of possibly being able to buy guys on the cheap and then convert them into specific roles in the way the Patriots have done, again, for so long. And they did it with Kyle Van Noy, who's a big, big part of that defense. And Chris Kaufman at CK Parrott, you guys all know who he is, mentioned that Jeremiah Atachu could be one of those players. That's the vein we should be thinking about in free agency. Low-level guys that can play specific roles on the defense or the offense that fit in with the mindset, with the ego personality thing, all the fun stuff we've talked about with Brian Flores' preferences, but also a fit in the scheme. Because frankly, this defense has ran pretty differently than a lot of other defenses across the league. The last note here, Duke Johnson in Cleveland, because of Kareem Hunt, because of Nick Chubb breaking out in his rookie season... All of a sudden, Duke Johnson's kind of the odd man out. And you might say, well, yeah, he's the third running back there. He'd be the third running back here as well. Well, look at the Patriots roster because they've always had a lot of running backs they filter through, different styles of running backs, guys that can compete in different areas and give you production in different areas, like a LaGarrett Blunt compared to a Deion Lewis. They go out and draft Sony Michelle. This is a position in this offense. That frankly, the offense runs through the running backs in the passing game, the running game. They want the running backs very, very heavily involved, and I just don't think Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balazs are going to be enough to do it on their own. I do think highly of Drake and Balage in the passing game, but they, neither of them are a true, true pass-catching back in the mold of a Deion Lewis. Duke Johnson is exactly that. You guys have heard me going on and on about Miles Sanders out of Penn State, James Williams out of Washington State, go Cougs, and... Duke Johnson is ready-made, a polished product that could come in for cheap, most likely. He'd be a late-round draft pick. His salary is dirt cheap. I think the Dolphins would be very wise to call up John Dorsey and the Cleveland Browns and bring Duke Johnson back home to Miami. And while we're on the topic of free agency, I have to remind you guys here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network that we're going to have the off-season preview piece coming out to you guys on Sunday night. We'll talk about it on the podcast as well next Monday, so keep an eye out for that. We have plenty of content coming your way, including next here on the podcast, talking about Josh Rosen and the quarterback position. We'll get to that next Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. You know, I'm not one to sit here and tell people about their pet preferences being wrong. I think that all animals are great as long as you just give them love. They'll give you love in return. Some dogs are assholes. Some cats are assholes. Some cats are awesome. Some dogs are awesome. That's the case across all species, in my opinion. But I do have a question for dog people because I've always been a bigger fan of cats. They just, I for whatever reason, my friends call me the cat whisperer. Like I can go over to a friend's house and make friends with the cat before I can with the dog. I For whatever reason, that's just who I am. I don't care about it. I don't hide from it. I'm a cat guy. Go ahead and roast me for that. But the question I have for the dog folks out there is I always see dog people say the cat shits in the house and you have to clean the cat shit out of the litter box. And that, for some reason, makes the cat an inferior animal. But I've always wondered, your dog goes outside and craps in the yard, or you take him for a walk and he craps, and you have to either shovel it out of your yard or pick it up with your hand through the bag. Like, what's the difference? I use a little scooper that doesn't touch my hand, and I put it in a bag and I throw it away, and it takes less time. She's independent. I can do it whenever I want to. So just please come at me on Twitter and tell me why the dog pooping outside and you having to pick it up out there is any different than cleaning a litter box. Please do. I want to know. At Winkville NFL. Hit me up on Twitter. Let's get back into football here because we're not here to talk about cats and dogs. I want to talk about the hot topic of the day, of the week, probably of the next few weeks for us as we look to fill this quarterback position that right now is, besides the Redskins, and I hate saying that word. Let's call them Washington. The team in Washington. The only team that I think is worse at quarterback right now than Miami would be Washington, Washington. But even that's debatable because Colt McCoy is at least a good backup quarterback. And if you take Brian Tannehill off this football team, Luke Falk and Jake Rudolph are the only guys on the roster with David Fales and Brock Osweiler pending free agents to be who I don't think have any chance of coming back to this football team. But Josh Rosen, for that reason, and the Kyler Murray stuff, has dominated headlines across NFL trade landscapes. There are polarizing views on this guy. People think that he would be the best quarterback in this draft. I could not disagree with that anymore. I do think he'd be the third best quarterback. But I still despise the drop-off after Dwayne Haskins as my second quarterback in this draft class. And Josh Rosen, to me, is probably closer to Drew Locke than he is to Dwayne Haskins as a number three quarterback opposed to the number two in this class. And... Armando Salguero tweets about it, talking about how you have to give up this fourth round draft pick or whatever if he's available. And I just want to get into Josh Rosen and why I dislike him so much and why I think that he would not be in the Dolphins' crosshairs to corroborate Omar Kelly's tweet that the Dolphins are in fact not interested in Josh Rosen. And the character thing is the big one for me because look, None of us really actually know what goes on behind the curtain in the NFL, in an NFL locker room, on an NFL practice field. We hear things, but we don't really know. Like Devontae Parker, for example. He was distraught, I think it was either last year or the year before, after his girlfriend broke up with him, and apparently it affected his work habits in a way that made him completely unproductive from sunup to sundown at the facility in Davie. And that's happened to me before, don't get me wrong, I've been distraught by a breakup before but it was like in high school, but it still happened. And then you go back to like the positive side of things of this argument and Ted Larson, who we all know is, he's not a good football player at this stage of his career. He may have been in the past, but he was pretty terrible on tape all throughout 2018. But after the Miami Miracle play, he was the one that hit the key block that really sprung Kenyon Drake and the locker room absolutely loved him for it. Chanting Ted, Ted, Ted throughout the locker room. And so there's just all these factors that go into the locker room and the way certain things play, the way certain guys kind of come together. I mean, Ryan Tannehill was in the locker room kind of off to the side by himself right by Coach Gaze's office, and he didn't really ever interact with the rest of the team, whereas guys like Rashad Jones and Bobby McCain and some of the other cornerbacks and DBs all pile around together. Devon Godshaw was next to Andre Branch, who was just the life of the party. The offensive line had their own big, giant, naked white men party going on in their own corner of the locker room. So there's all these clicks And Ryan Tannehill really wasn't ever a part of that in the two times that I was there. He was mostly isolated by himself in that portion of the locker room. With the other quarterbacks, there just wasn't a lot of interaction and engagement between him and the rest of the guys. And getting back on track here, going back to Josh Rosen, everything we've been told about Josh Rosen is that he's a giant douche. And I think that's kind of been spelled out throughout the course of his career at UCLA and up to last week. He's opinionated and maybe not as receptive to coaching as we would prefer a player to be at that position. Guys have to be able to be coached. That's going to be the moniker of this new Dolphin staff. And that just goes against everything they have preached. And while we may think some of this stuff is said right now is fodder and smoke, and a lot of it is, I promise you this. This regime is not fucking around when it comes to the character issue, the lack of egos, prioritizing football, and a we not me mentality. Hundred percent genuine. I one hundred percent guarantee that much is true, and I don't think Josh Rosen is that. There was a feature I want to say on ESPN Magazine or ESPN.com a while ago when Rosen was dubbed the chosen one by the UCLA Bruin faithful about his hot tub and his his dorm room or his apartment. And just kind of following him around day to day. And the general takeaway from that was that Josh Rosen is not a likable character in any such way. And there was more reports that he rubbed people the wrong way in those combine interviews in Indianapolis last year. And then the most recent one that really kind of grinds my gears is this Instagram thing where he takes down the pictures of himself in Cardinals gear, Cardinals attire, Cardinals uniform, and then says that he was hacked and someone else did that, which that was totally him. Come on, man. We're not going to buy that. Who would go into your Instagram and do that? That was the action of an immature teenager, in my opinion. And yeah, some of these guys, like Josh Rosen, are in their early 20s, but that's not an excuse. At this level, you have to mature faster than the average 21, 22, 23-year-old, and you have to be grown up, you have to be a grown man, because you're leading other grown men and taking direction from other grown men, the coaches, and you just have to be at that level to be successful. You have to be wired a certain way, and I just don't think that he's that. And you go back to his rookie tape, which is not good. You go back to his UCLA tape, which has good moments in it. But I also think there's plenty of head-scratching decisions where he makes just boneheaded throws, much in the way Ryan Tannehill would do throughout his career in Miami. He's just not for me in any way. And so while I think everyone says you'd be foolish not to trade him for or trade a third-round draft pick for him even, I'd say that if you have the same conviction I do, any compensation for Josh Rosen is too much. And that kind of leads into my last point here on the podcast because we're going to do a very, very heavy focus on the 2020 draft class as I'm pretty sure that we're not going to hit on the franchise guy this time around unless something unforeseen happens and the Dolphins are able to trade up and go get Kyler Murray, maybe even Dwayne Haskins But that's going to put a heavy focus on the year of the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins in 2020. And you guys may have seen the videos I put up on my timeline yesterday, looking at Jake Fromm in the national championship game from the 2018 season or rather the 2017 season the game was played in 2018, and just the high-level processing that he was able to to showcase as a 19-year-old on the field that day. There's a great Netflix series. I've talked about it a million times, QB1, Beyond the Lights. Season number one, Jake Fromm is featured. Check that out and come back and tell me you don't love the kid after watching that. There's some great cut-ups of him working with the offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach, working on the whiteboard, what he sees in certain coverages, teaching the backup quarterback, who happens to be his brother, and just the level of engagement and overall aptitude for the game that he has. I think he comes in and becomes your leader from day one. He was a leader there. He was a leader at Georgia. I think the same thing will happen to him in the NFL. He beats out Jacob Eason, who was a high-level recruit quarterback, a five-star. Holds off Justin Fields, who was a five-star recruit in his own right, and was the number one quarterback prospect in the country coming out of high school. He won an SEC championship game against Auburn. He won a Rose Bowl against Oklahoma. He almost beat Alabama in a national championship. Just kind of came up short there at the end and the videos I show you show a guy that is able to manipulate the defense with his eyes the arm talent is not terrific but it's definitely good enough he can squeeze tight windows he can create windows he can find platforms to throw from in the pocket I just think very highly of Jake Fromm and I think he offers a good juxtaposition for Josh Rosen's character and what he's been through his college career and young NFL career. But Jake Fromm's gonna be a guy we focus on heavily throughout the course of this fall and winter, looking at the college season, going into next draft season. We'll get heavily involved in that 2020 class as a whole. But I'm not going to get too far into the weeds right now. We'll pick this back up more later in the summer and once the fall gets here, talking about these quarterbacks once the college season comes around and rolls into this time next year. All right, guys, that's going to do it for the podcast. Check out the LockedOnDolphins.com piece. We had our entire staff predict the Dolphins' first-round draft pick at number 13. If you have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull us up right quick. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.